listening to Hungry for More, an Epicurean's Dilemma, and I'm your host, Trish Close. Founder of Dirty Radish, Siobhan Ball, on the podcast today. Dirty Radish is a travel company, curated wine and food tours in the Willamette Valley and in France. Siobhan is also a certified sommelier and French wine scholar, and another that I met at Women in Wine Conference this summer. You might be hearing that just a little bit more. <laughs> I met some incredibly amazing people at this conference. Siobhan talks about growing up in Vancouver, Washington, in a multicultural household, which she says just meant a lot of German food and Southern food on the table all at one time. Sounds amazing. She talks about working at Le Pigeon restaurant in Portland, right when the restaurant first opened, really. And she says what a magical and pivotal time this was for her. She learned a lot about French cuisine, French wine, more importantly, hospitality, and how all of those things come together to create a pretty fantastic package. She loved it so much, she moved to France in 2009, studied there for a year, and came back to open restaurants and manage restaurants. But it really wasn't until a trip back to France for a friend's wedding that she said, I love this place. And how do I continue to come back here? More importantly, get paid to come back here. And so she tells the story of how Dirty Radish was born. She credits a lot of her success on being genuine, and sharing her passions of people and places, food and wine, sharing that with others. But really, when it comes down to it, she says it's all about making connections. Here's Siobhan Ball. Super excited to talk to you today, Siobhan Ball, certified sommelier, French wine scholar, met you at Women in Wine Conference. And my listeners are going to be hearing this a lot. I met so many fantastic people at this conference. And yes, they're going to show up on my podcast. Hi, welcome. Hi, how are you? I am so good. I'm so glad um, you're here. It's so funny because Thank there you. was a dinner right before the conference. And I believe your birthday had been like a couple days before, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> just a couple days before. You walked by and I was like, happy birthday. And you're like, it's not today. It was like two days ago. And I'm like, oh, well, happy birthday anyways. And then we started chatting and it got... it. It didn't get like heavy or anything, but it was very non-surface, quick conversation the two of you, that you and I had. And I was just like, I really like this chick's energy. She's rad. <laughs> Same. That's why we had that conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because we, we could. Because we could. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. That's what we're here for. Yeah. And I am so happy that I had a handful of those conversations with different different people, different women at this conference. Um, and I just feel like those are those conversations actually move you down a certain way. You get to know someone. And then years later, you look back and you're like, oh, remember remember when we met? Remember that? And then you kind of cultivate these relationships and friendships. I love that. I hope that's what people go to these conferences for. Not, I mean, there's a lot of obviously fun, networking, drinking, beautiful wine, eating delicious food. But there's like a, you took your time to come to this, to have conversations and hear people's experiences to maybe like turn something for you, for your journey that you're on. Mm-hmm. So when we have these brief moments to have conversations, yeah. Let's have these conversations. Um, you are founder of Dirty Radish along alongside being a certified sommelier. Um, Dirty Radish is curated wine and food tours in the Willamette Valley in France. In fact, you just mentioned 
you're not at home right now. You're in a cabin somewhere in the woods because you are really, <laughs> you had some work to do and this is how you wanted to get it done. Yeah. Um, I started this kind of idea of being like a seasonal nomad, but also just knowing that like um, sometimes you need to change your environment to get creative and have that time to focus and work. That's my work of being creative, I guess. So I needed a space to, to do that. And why not? Why not? Absolutely. <laughs> why not? Um, I also want to mention this before we um, start talking about you really dig deep. Uh, you were recently named wine enthusiast, top 40, under 40 tastemakers of 2020 and named a rising star by 750 daily. So um, speaking of being creative, you're getting noticed for your creativity. Yeah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> okay, come on. You got to give me a little bit more. It's way cool. It's way cool. It's pretty cool. I mean, it's really, it's, uh, you know, it's interesting because it comes from connections. It comes from like genuine just moments of connection. And you just never know what any one moment will take you to the next moment. There's such a thread. And so they, they came about so genuinely that it feels like, yes and thank you but also like just making connections mm -hmm. yeah no <laughs> I, doing... I believe that I believe in connections yeah for sure yeah uh where are you from originally Siobhan Ball I'm from Vancouver Washington okay Pacific Northwest you're a Pacific Northwest yeah. gal what was that uh like growing up in Vancouver you just really charming like uh fishing with grandpa riding bikes being in the garden, going to school. I don't know. Just like normal, I guess, in some ways. But um, I really like being in the Northwest. I love how green it is. Mm. It's so beautiful here. I really like that. It is. I read that you grew up in a multicultural house. Yeah. My mom is from Germany. And my um, house, we spoke German. We ate German food. Um, I guess it seems weird to people, but it was normal to me. Sure. So, you know, my other side of the family is from the South. So dinners were a mix of cuisine <laughs> that just went together. And in my mind, they still do. But for most people, they probably don't. <laughs> I don't know. That's so funny that you said that. My dad's side of the family is German and Polish. And then my mom's side of the family is very Southern, very South Carolina. So I grew up with, you know, potato salad and, and and things that were kind of German goulash and things that were German and Polish inspired, but also fried chicken and butter beans and rice and cornbread. On the same table. Um, sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. That was the thing. It was the same table. So my grandmother having been married to my grandfather, who was an army man, they moved around a lot in these different barracks. During those times, the barracks were segregated. So my grandmother was this white German woman living in these barracks with surrounded by black women from the South. So she started learning how to cook some of their dishes, but just kept her own <laughs> German food along with it. <laughs> I love that. Um, One of my favorites. Yeah. No, please. Favorites. Yeah, go ahead. Um, spaghetti, but with like rye bread on the side. 
as a combo. Yeah. No, there's something. Well, and I think it too, it just uh, expands your palate a little bit and you, you appreciate yeah. flavors, right? Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's where it started. Um, so you also just mentioned before we got started that your mom's a reverend. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. My mom's a reverend, Reverend Diana. <laughs> she lives in the South as well. And we grew up going to church a lot. It was great to have that community mm-hmm. and the, the food. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I know about yeah. church food, church lady food. Church lady food. Um, yeah. It was, it was, you know, fine. <laughs> but a foundation. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. I always say um, I spend a lot of time in church as a youngster and it keeps you grounded, keeps you out of trouble. Yeah. It kept me out of trouble. Sure. <laughs> Until you were old enough and then. <laughs> I was like, deuces. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean. Yeah. No, yeah. same. It was the same for you. Yeah. I mean, I was just, uh, you know, there was a lot of like really great parts, but I'm not religious. I wouldn't say I'm like a religious person. Um, so I just, you know, it's not a part of my like every day or Sunday. I'm not Sunday. Like is I have a religion for myself. Like Sundays are sacred, calm days, but when I go to church, right. church is in my house, I guess in the kitchen. Yeah. Oh no, I feel that. And I'm, I'm not religious at all, but, um, walking my dogs sometimes is like my church, you know, that's when I listen to music and reflect and I come up with my best ideas on those dog walks. Mm, what are you listening to when you're on those walks? It's a mix. It's a shuffle. Um, but it's anything from, you know, jazz to Brandy Carlisle to yeah. Kings Leon. I mean, just, it's all over the place. Yeah. I'm going like a, it definitely has like, chunks of mood and you can see that with my like Spotify likes like oh there's a whole jazz corner here mm-hmm. what were you doing then mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just uh yeah. created an autumn playlist oh yeah right Charlie Brown autumn uh the Halloween mm-hmm. whatever mm-hmm. album great it is great the Christmas one is fantastic as well um you went to high school did you go to high school in the Pacific Northwest? Yeah, I grew up uh, in Vancouver, where I went to okay. school. What did you so, want to be when when you grew up? I guess I wanted to be like I kind of wanted to be a chef for a while. I thought I would do that, but. Working in kitchens was really hard at that time. <laughs> I didn't I didn't really know. Um, I liked working with kids. So I did that for a little while. But I just really liked um, working. I started working in restaurants when I was like 15. So I just enjoyed the hospitality and mm-hmm. making things happen. But I never had like a job job that I wanted to do I just wanted to 
get an apartment. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Isn't that funny? I was, when I was little, I was desperate to be 19. 19. 19. 19. I I felt like that's how old Barbie was. Like I felt like my Barbie was 19. So I was like, I think I want to be 19. Just, I just want to stay 19 forever. Yes. Why not? Well, and now I now I realize nineteen is like kind of a shitty age. It's like so. Yeah, I'd be like thirty six would be cool. <laughs> I think that. Yeah, thirty six would be good. Thirty six was thirty four. Yeah. No, yeah. I can. I, I feel that working in restaurants. Nice segue because I read that there's a specific restaurant you worked in in Portland. For three years, that three years, I think, that really changed things for you. Yeah. Um, I worked in restaurants. I, like, I really got my start at Denny's. And it was a long road to, like, fine dining. Um, but I got there in 2006 very randomly. And it was at the very, very beginning of, of its opening. So it was just a really fun time to be a part of something that was, like, in its beginning to now what it is. So those were, it was just a fun time working at Le Pigeon. Yeah. So <laughs> really fun. I didn't realize you, you worked there at the beginning of this restaurant. Le Pigeon is, Le Pigeon is the restaurant we're talking about. Yes. Yes. Le Pigeon. Um, yeah. They had uh, opened like maybe one month before I started there. We still had brunch. So it was like open five nights, doing two days of brunch. Those were like really early days. And a different manager than me eventually got, so that kind of took it to the next level. And, you know, it was uh, <laughs> organized chaos mm. in its best. Really talented and creative people. Um, having a really lovely dinner party every night of the week. Magic. That is magic. Magic. Yeah. What do you think it was about this restaurant um, that really, because I mean, this really did, I feel like, correct me if I'm wrong, this really did change things for you. After this, you moved to France. Like, what was it about this place, the people, the food? What was it about this that really hit home for you? Um, that's a great question, and I only can explain it in a long way, but there's something really special about being able to take someone away for two hours or two and a half or three hours to a place of just, like, joy and enjoyment and intrigue and excitement and comfort and love and just it's like an art to be able to do that and it seems silly because it's just food in a a way but people would just have this moment of being so happy and I got to do that every night and by learning about wine and learning about the different foods we were serving and the farms they came from, I was able to create more of a story and really give this experience. And 
you're left with this like joy and like people were just so happy leaving. And then from that, all these relationships with, with people that I made from that time have like created a whole other world for me, you know? Yeah. I do. <laughs> but do you think, cause you grew up with food obviously, and you grew up with what sounds like really amazing cooks in your family. Yeah. Um, did did this experience though open your eyes to anything different or was it just sure. okay wine yeah wine wasn't a big thing in a, growing up it wasn't like a part of our culture or part of our table but wine enhanced people's dining experiences but it also enhanced my check average so it's the sales yeah we're there mm-hmm. and learning to be able to take my skills of hospitality and my knowledge of wine to increase someone's experience and build this business or, you know, pay the bills, yep. <laughs> earn the living, right? It was such a wonderful combination. I think specifically what was special about Le Pigeon, it's for them as a place, it's timing. It was the right people being in the right places at the right time. There was never anything wrong, nothing looking back. Of course, you could say, oh, we could have done that differently. Or maybe that person should have not worked there. Or maybe this person should have done that. But every person who came along or everything that's happened is like what got it to it where it is now. Hmm. So it's like they were all good choices or it all ends up working out the way it's supposed to. Oh, I like so that. It was like, yeah. Everybody yeah. wrote a chapter in the book, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the attention to detail that you were able to give specific people and how you would translate that to the next person, it really became something really special and unique. There were two women who would come in every night, every Friday night at 5 p.m., and they would sit at the same two seats every single time, same two seats on the chef counter. And one of them had a very particular fork that she liked out of all of these random silvers that we had purchased from some thrift stores in the early days of what they were doing. It was long and four-pronged, short-pronged, and she always wanted that fork. I will tell you that lady had that fork every Friday at 5 p.m. If it wasn't me, it was somebody else, but that fork was always there. She became an investor in their next Mm -hmm. restaurant. Like, they came in all the time. They had such a wonderful relationship with Gabe. I saw that. And I know it wasn't just the fork. I know it was Gabe's food. I know it was the ambiance. I know the other things. But (laughs) they also were giving a specific fork. (laughs) Mm. You know? Who does that? Well, special people, yes, people who know what they're doing in the hospitality business. It reminds me of a story. I worked at Chili's when I was a teenager. I was a hostess. Yeah. I was yeah. I was a really good hostess, by the way. Um, I can imagine. Yeah, thanks. There was a gal who worked in the bar. Her name was Yvonne. And she had long, 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 like past her butt, long hair. And she, remember, she remembered people. She remembered their drinks. She remembered their entrees. And I would watch her. And not so much the name sometimes. She would be like, hey, Bill, you know, 
margarita or you want your beer or whatever or both. <laughs> and she would just remember the names, their stories, what they ordered last time, their favorite thing. And I was like, that's it. That's what people, that's why people come back and sit in her station and tip her mm-hmm. because it's more than just bringing food and a glass of wine and even the fork, right? But the fork plays such a huge role in this because you're remembering these people and you're making a connection with them. Yeah, it's, um, I think in any interaction when working in the service industry, you have an opportunity to connect and sort of bring joy. And I, I don't, I, I get it. There's a lot of interactions that we have every day that are maybe less than pleasant, but they don't have to be. They, they could be a little more pleasant if we all just try it a little bit more. But also I feel like people are coming into a space for that experience as well. For sure. Yeah. I don't think there's my job to give it to them. Yep. And I don't think there's anything more frustrating than going to a restaurant that you're super excited about and having a complete dud as a server. It's so frustrating to me. And I get it. We all have bad days, but as a server or someone being in the service industry or hospitality, either you're going to have to make the decision that that's not your day to work or you're going to have to leave it at the door and just, turn it on. I mean, I, I've had bad days, of course. I know I wasn't like always the easiest person to probably work with, but <laughs> you got to try real hard, you know? Mm-hmm. So. so the decision to move to France, not visit, straight up move there. How did this, tell me the story. How did this even pop into your brain? Uh, I was Going back to school while I was working at Le Pigeon and taking, I had to take a French less French class. I started taking French. I needed a language credit. And um, I mean, I just was really into French. I couldn't believe I was speaking French and learning French and working in a French restaurant and all these things. And then the winter of 2008, I had a bad breakup. In February of 2009, I applied to a university. In August of 2009, I was living in Lyon. Wow. (laughs) Thanks to the breakup. I don't really know. I don't really know how to like break it down. (laughs) No, that's that's it. That's how you do it. Um, That's what happened. I imagine. I don't know. I mean, was that a scary decision? You know. no. Uh, yeah, uh, yes, of course, but no. I mean, um, n- no, I did it. I don't know. I don't know. I don't mm-hmm. scary isn't the right word, maybe. Um, terrifying probably is better. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, how long Who did you does live that? There? A little over a year, the first time, yeah. Um, I moved to Lyon direct, do not pass go, do not collect $200, just packed bags, moved. Uh, I happened to become friends with some people who had been living in Portland for the exchange as well. And so they were the first to greet me. Um, and they immediately took me to a grocery store and I was just overwhelmed with all the choices. And they decided we wanted to make a quiche for dinner. We started gathering the ingredients for this quiche and there's so many cheeses and 
just incredible. And then they decide as we're shopping that the quiche is going to take too long. So we need to come up with a different plan. And I said, why don't we just still make the quiche and we'll have it for breakfast. The whole rest, just everything stopped. It was like, quiche for breakfast? No. And I was like, okay. I'm not, okay. Not in the U.S. Okay. They were a, a gas. Right. <laughs> that I wouldn't suggest. How dare you? How dare you? How dare you say quiche for breakfast? So, um, did you go to school then while you were there? Yeah. So I went to this university, Lyon 2, and um, studied mostly French. And then they throw in like history and gastronomy. Um, you get to go do really amazing excursions, like, you know, go to chocolate factories and go to wineries where they make bread and 100 year old wood stoves. <sighs> where they grow the grain and make the flour and bake the bread and sell it at the market. I mean, it was just ridiculousness, yeah. but yeah, <laughs> that was what we did in school. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds <not> terrible. <laughs> it was awful. No, it was really, it was really a, an incredible uh, deep dive to be able to have these things already lined up for me to be able to have these connections already made um, really getting to meet incredible farmers just right off the gate, like the, just right out of the gate. It was really incredible. I wanted to meet everyone I could. So every restaurant I went to, I would ask questions, every farmer's market, every cheese shop. I was just meeting every person I could and making those connections with people. And then I had ease access into people from Beaujolais as well through some mutual friends. And it of of Gabe from Le Pigeon and it just opened all these doors like right away right when I walked into the into Lyon and into Beaujolais yeah I read that Beaujolais specifically is really kind of the the wine the people the food everything here that's what you really fell in love with yeah um it was just really by circumstance and happenstance that these mutual friends that I made, he is the expert manager for a collective of Beaujolais producers called Terroir Regionale. And so I met them three weeks after I moved there. And as I tell the story, I went to visit them for one day and I didn't come home for four days. <laughs> Because I was meeting all these producers whose wine I had just been pouring, serving at Le Pigeon, um, particularly Robert Peru. And when I met him, I was so nervous and so taken aback that I was like meeting this person whose wine I like really fell in love with. And he was just so easy to talk to and so kind and generous and every single producer was like that. They just were very open and happy to talk with my bad Franklish at the time. <laughs> and like, they don't speak, you know, English very well. And they just were opening bottles and serving food. And that's why it ended up being four days. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I just really like thought that's what I feel like wine should be about. Because before that, it was more in a very like 
high-end kind of restaurant setting. I hadn't really been exposed to it in that way. And that's what I really like. I like both. Love it. Was it meeting meeting these people, you know, the producers that you were pouring their wine at Le Pigeon in Portland and you're a world away meeting them? Was it almost for you like meeting like a movie star? Was it just like a celebrity status? Um, it felt like, I guess, meeting someone whom you are like a fan of something that they've created, like you're meeting the creator of something that you're like, I never could imagine making wine or, and I, how much I enjoy it. I enjoy wine so much. And then I'm like, but how does it get here? And now I'm meeting the person who made that happen. Just like feels right. Mm -hmm. Because they're so easy to just talk to. They're just regular people creating amazing things. And it just always makes me want to continue to bridge the gap of just constantly connecting the people who'd want to meet, you know, people who'd want to know each other. Mm -hmm. Very fun. Yeah. It's like, it's like meeting Willy Wonka, you know, like just this, this person that you're so appreciative of who has created something so beautiful that you're so fond of. And then when you see them in public and they're wonderful and nice and kind, um, yeah, I'm sure it checks a box. It's kind of like, um, you know, I've, I've seen a few people in the industry and I've heard them talking about things they want to do, wineries they want to build, tasting rooms they want to build, and then being able to watch someone turn that into mm-hmm. a reality mm-hmm. is so beautiful and cool. And like, I think being around and being a part of people who are creating is like where I enjoy being because everybody's creating something, but there's like making those connections. And I just really, the status of like this thing of like, I'm respecting that, but I'm also like, let's share a beer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> let's just mm-hmm. talk about life. Um, Absolutely. You were in Lyon for a year, you said, right? Yeah, I moved to a little village outside of uh, Geneva for the summer, but mostly I was in Lyon. Yeah. Um, and you come back, you come home, right? What's yeah. What's next? Uh, Little Bird opened. So I was the GM at Little Bird when they first opened. Um, So beautiful. Perfect bistro. Very fun. Really fun. (laughs) A lot of work. (laughs) Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, I started managing. After that, I just kept managing restaurants and kept trying to find what I thought would be the right fit or which feel the best. And it was just a lot, you know, managing is a lot. Managing a restaurant is a lot of work. And I love so much of it, but I lost a little bit of getting to do like the serving that I liked or that kind of connection. Cause now you're doing like more of the business side of things. Mm-hmm. So learned a lot, kept moving around and helping a lot of different people open great places. And that felt really good. I really started to enjoy the excitement of opening and putting everything in its place and sort of refiguring out 
construction. Mm-hmm. Like I walked into a restaurant that I was helping open and <laughs> the electrician was there and I'm looking around and every single light is on a switch. And I was like, are all, are all those switches? And he's like, yeah, that's what the specs said. And I was like, there's no way on earth <laughs> that's the case. No, no restaurant exists that there's just on off. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. I was like, everything on dimmers. You can just believe me for the rest of your life at any restaurant is going to say all dimmers. So I love that. I love like making sure that <laughs> little details mm-hmm. <laughs> are attended to. And I really started enjoying that part more and more and more. And I was like, okay, I can kind of maybe turn that into the work as opposed to being on the floor. But you clearly missed that hospitality aspect of this industry I mean yeah clearly yeah um and I'm missing it today I mean I feel like uh, there's a definitely there's a lot of really great hospitality out there there's also a, a a window or a gap for some I feel like for people to really bring it back bring hospitality really back mm-hmm. to that level and see the the benefit for just as humans and as people, but also the the bottom line, your, your business, the dollar, what you're bringing in. Mm-hmm. Well, and again, yeah. I think it comes back to connections. That's like the, the word of the day, but I feel like hospitality too is, is connect. You're, you're connecting things that you know about and you've learned about and that you love with people who may haven't had any sort of um, exposure to those things. Yes. Um, some things can feel like there's a threshold to get to, you know, like I, I guess I kind of call it accessible luxury is what we're looking for Mm -hmm. and luxury, not feeling like it has to be expensive, but it has to be thoughtful or intentional. And that's what makes you feel like that level of comfort, which is what I feel like we're trying to give in all the things that I do. Yeah. Yeah. When you were working in these restaurants and opening restaurants, um, the idea of dirty radish, were you sort of like percolating on this? Not in the slightest. No. Okay. I no. You know, I came back, I, I started working at little bird. It was like too good of an opportunity to pass up. It, it just was like, it seemed like the right thing to do. And I, I don't regret it at all. I learned so much. How would you know that you're not going to really love being the GM or love these hours until you do it, mm-hmm. right? And you just worked at Le Pigeon for three years. You just lived in France for a year. It makes sense. That's the trajectory, right? <laughs> like, that's what you do. Um, so I did. I worked in all these restaurants, helped open restaurants, really learned a lot, but kept feeling like something was missing or just not quite what I wanted. And I had a moment of feeling like I'm building other people's dreams and not building like my dream and my, my life. And I went to a wedding in France of some wonderful friends who are from France that I met. And 
2016 and was just like, I want to be here more often. Hmm. I want to be in France more often. How do I do that? And (laughs) this sounds like the worst way to start a business, by the way. Like anyone who's like an actual business planner is probably like, this is not how you do it. Um, I said, how can I be in France more often? And I wrote down three things. Get married, go to school, start a business. Well, I can wait a million years to get married. That's not a business plan. It's not really a life plan. So that's off the table for that. And then go to school. I was 36, almost 37 at the time. I just felt like that was like too much of a commitment to get that visa to not what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And so I said, start a business. What would that look like? I said, I wonder if people would pay me to take them to France. I wonder if that is a thing. Do people do that? Wait, people do that. People pay <laughs> people to take them to France all the time. Why why can't you do that? Duh. Duh. You have all these connections. You've you've already done the work. Start the business. Hmm. And Viola. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> Viola. <laughs> it just happened it really did I just was like this seems right and then it just turned into so many more things that I could have possibly ever imagined Hmm. it's wild I read the story about why radish but I want to hear it from you why dirty radish which is a great yeah I such a good name thank you you know I had to fight for that name in the sense of people were kind of doubting that name Hmm. um that's when I learned to not take constructive criticism from people who don't construct things. <laughs> yep. Um, decided I want to start this business. What does that look like? I have no idea how to start a business. I have a few friends who have businesses and are entrepreneurs and CEOs. I know how to cook. I'm going to invite them over for dinner. So I invited them over for dinner. We put a big whiteboard in the living room. I was cooking, I had some radishes out, someone went to grab it, and I said, don't touch that, it's a dirty radish. And then in the other room, someone said, write that on the board. <laughs> so we wrote dirty radish on the board. Over the course of the evening, <laughs> it kept getting circled. Mm. And at the end of the night, everyone left, you know, and you're doing the dishes, and I was looking at the board, and I, I just thought, yeah, I think that works. And uh, I was thinking about how when you're in France at the market, the vegetables and things aren't perfectly clean. They just came from the farm. So you still have to kind of go home and have this moment with your (laughs) food, I guess. Like, you know, (laughs) intimate. Very intimate. Um, Yeah. And then... uh, I had a garden book that has like a lot of botanical drawings in it. And I, not everything has a drawing. And I said, okay, if there's a drawing of a radish in this book, I'm going to start this business. And then there was. Mm. (laughs) I like that a lot. Yeah. And that was in 2017 that you started Dirty Radish. Yep. 
again, is wine and food tours, not only in France, but also Willamette Valley. And it was this idea that, just as you said, would people pay me to take them on a tour of these incredible places that I've learned about and I know about and that I love? And they are. Yeah. It also came from a place, too, of... uh I was, you know, living in France. I had been in France at this point now a few times and people were having bad experiences or like they didn't have the same kind of experience that I was having. And that comes largely from going mainly to Paris, which is just like going to New York. You know, if you went to the U.S. for the first time and only time and only went to New York, that's not the U.S., right? There's so many other places and smaller cities. To me, it's kind of like you know, London, Tokyo. It's all the same big cities. Anyways. Also, not speaking French is challenging, mm-hmm. especially if you're going out to wine country or into the wine regions. It can be challenging for the smaller producers, where to go. There's a lot of things they're trying to have like a really good time for 10 days. And here I was with all of these connections, the things I want to do, people who want to see these places and experience these things people who want to meet these other people and sell them their products and have these experiences with them. Why not? And it's so random that I didn't think to do it in the Lamp Valley first. I really did start in France and then turned it around. And I was like, oh, I guess I could do it here too mm-hmm. in the Lamp Valley. And I love being able to like cherry pick these experiences for people. It's exactly what I've always wanted to be doing. That's incredible. Do you cherry pick the people too? Are there some people where you're like, no, I'm not taking you to France. Sorry. Um, I do vet people a bit mm-hmm. just because I want to make sure that we're on the same page about your trip and what your expectations are. I'm not, um, every trip is unique and different, both in the Lamette Valley and in France. Um, there has to be just a little bit of independence. You have to have a little bit of mm-hmm. bandwidth to make your own decisions. If you don't want to go somewhere or you don't want to do something. Um, you know, I taught preschool for a really long time before I really got deep into restaurants. And then I started working in restaurants and it's really quite same. All we are as humans is blood sugar levels and nap time. That's it. <laughs> Do you need a snack or a nap? What What do you need? And I'm as a host, I'm making sure that that blood sugar level and nap time is flawless throughout the whole day, whether it's one day in Lamb Valley or 10 days in France or coming up mm-hmm. seven days in Mexico. You know, I'm going to make sure that that is taken care of. So I get to do everything I wanted to do. I get to give people this incredible experience. I get to connect to people that I love with people that are going to love them. And I get to go to beautiful places. Win, 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 win. I don't. <laughs> Who knew? I mean, you knew, obviously you knew you were smart enough to put it together. It's been, um, you know, building the plane as it's going down. Like, just learning as I go. I started with, you know, people it was telling me that the website would be really easy to build. I would just sit and watch YouTube videos and cry. Be like, I 
don't know what language these people are speaking. <laughs> I don't know what you said. <laughs> I have no idea. You know, it took a lot of time learning, doing all these things, but it's like now the most rewarding because I learned so much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I bought a new camera last year for my business. I have a new computer system that I just recently purchased and I have been Googling, how do you do this? Whether it's editing or in my camera or with new software, I'm just, I've been Googling things like crazy and it's frustrating. I'm, I'm in tears too a lot, but then it's like, then you figure it out and I'm like running around the house. Like I figured it out. Yeah. Me. It's the best. Did it. Mm-hmm. Did that. Mm-hmm. It's really, um, and the, and I think the thing I'm learning as I get, as I get older <laughs> is everybody's doing the exact same thing, just on a different thing. <laughs> and everyone's just as frustrated or happy, you know, like to varying degrees, but it's all very similar. It's all very similar. So like having both grace with people and myself is the the key to all of making it work and keeping the the little business and and life that I'm creating going. That first trip, the first tour, you take a group of people to France. I mean, were you excited? Were you nervous? Were you just like, holy, holy shit? I don't know. I don't know about this. Um, you know, I posted it uh, after. Uh, on on social media and it's an interesting thing to be vulnerable on social media Mm. Uh, but I was like in tears after everyone left (laughs) because the release of like the stress of making sure that all these people had a good time stayed safe, stayed hydrated on top of making sure they have a wonderful experience as well. It's a different level Mm -hmm. Um, but I was so happy that everyone had a wonderful time, you know, and it's, it's like, it's a, an energy you can't, you can't explain. It's just like, so exciting and fun. But yeah, of course, it can be stressful too. <laughs> like In the best way possible. Well, yeah. Uh, do you have a trip coming up that you're planning? Uh, the next trip is actually I'm expanding um, my repertoire of destinations now. So I'm partnering with a company called Trova Trip and doing a trip to Mexico City and Oaxaca in February. Love it. Um, they reached out and it just so happens that I uh, did a three-month trip to Mexico and fell in love with this region and this place. And I'm super excited to be able to take people there dead of winter to get that rejuvenation, that vitamin D, that vitamin J, joy. Nice. <laughs> and like, re, just like reconnect and recharge because after that three months in Mexico, I came back to Portland and everyone was pretty much in a terrible mood. Mm. <laughs> it was a really bad winter. <laughs> and I was like, oh, how's it going? And I was like, oh, I had sun. Sun is very important. It's such a beautiful place. The food and the culture and the art, it was just incredible. I felt like I have to 
do this all the time. And now I get to share it with other people again. Amazing. I don't, I, lucky, lucky. I'm sure it's also gratifying to you when, it's like when someone compliments you on dinner you've made, right? Which is to mm-hmm. me the best thing ever. One of the best things ever. When someone tells you that was an incredible trip, I will remember this for a lifetime. Yeah. Um, it's really wild. I, I really do get to do that. Um, I just had a couple come into town for four days to Oregon, excuse me, to do their wedding uh, photos. Mm-hmm. And I did their itinerary for four days. And then I did a wine tour with them for one of the days they were here. And there was a lot of pressure because this is like their wedding photos. And I was coordinating the photographer and the travel and they had a driver and, you know, hotels and (laughs) all this stuff. And it was a lot of work. And then we had our wine tour together. And at the end of that wine tour, they were like, this was the best day. And we cannot wait for these photos and for our wedding. You have to, they were just like, you have to come visit us when we, you know, this winter (laughs) down in Texas, we're going to go shooting. We have to like, we want to make a wine with you. Like, we want a private, like, just, it kept going, this connection. And then the connections that I made with the wineries we chose, they bought wine at every place. Like, wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. But, man, it's a lot. But it is such a treat to get to, like, be a part of someone's just moment like that and, like, plan this really amazing time. But, of course, it's very stressful, like, Mm-hmm. Is it going to rain? Is it going to be yellow jackets? Mm-hmm. Will me? <laughs> what do you think the key is to making connections? Because obviously you're very good at it. Very good at it. Um, it seems like you've started a business based on your connections. What do you think the key is when you're making a connection with someone to make it um, really stand out and memorable? Um, I mean, I think it's just being genuine, like anything can start a conversation, like everyone has something in common. It just takes like one little thing, even if it's just that you're in the same room at the same time, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like Mm -hmm. that's what starts it. And I think I just sort of take it for what... Every, everyone wants to meet each other. Like we all, there's so many people and it could be just one little thing and maybe it doesn't have to be forever. It could just be like one minute. I, But I think it's also maybe not having, I mean, I think there is some, for some people, not us clearly, um, there's anxiety when you go to meet someone and make that connection. There's a little bit of like, Ugh. do you yeah. think? I'll say two things. One is, I think um, my mother was going to name me Olivia after my father's mother. And everyone was like, Olivia, that's so old fashioned. 
Why would you name her Olivia? <laughs> so she named me after her best friend, Siobhan, which is spelled C-H-E-V-O-N-N-E. And so from the age of six, I've had to repeat myself and spell my name, I think almost every day of my life. So for me, I think that turned a lot of my having to be mm. anxious or per- like, <laughs> I have to talk to people because I'm constantly spelling my name. I went to a clothing store just the other day and the lady, you know, wanted to put my name on the door and said, what's your name? I said, Mary, this is my alias name. And she said, oh, I'm Mary too. <laughs> It rarely happens. So then when I went to purchase the things, I had to go, Mary, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm not really married. <laughs> so see, I have to have a conversation again, you know, yeah. deep interaction. But also as you start to think about, again, having grace with yourself and grace with others, everyone is anxious a little bit. Mm-hmm. Everyone's going through something, you know. I think having that on your brain, it makes it a little easier sometimes to get interacting with people throughout the day. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think too, I I do feel like there are just certain people out there in the world that connections, making connections like that just really rev their engine a little bit. I'm definitely one of them. I love meeting people. I love hearing other people's stories. Um, I just think it's, it's a gift. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's, it's a gift and a, there is some skill to it, Mm -hmm. you know, and feeling the energy of people, I guess, too, you know, like, um, I knew I had that gift, you know, throughout my life, but I'm like its biggest scale of having that. I... Uh, spoke about imposter syndrome at a symbolic symposium, which is a very heavy topic. <laughs> Pretty heavy, right? Mm-hmm. And I could feel the room was not going to be ready for that conversation. So I asked to play some music and let everybody dance for a few minutes before I spoke. Nice. And getting 300 people to dance is a big, that's fun. But there's someone who took a video in the crowd that was posted and you can hear someone, I'm often the crowd dancing or whatever, <laughs> but you can hear someone say, I needed this. And I just, <laughs> if just even one person needed it, I, I did what I was, uh, I felt that energy. I did that, I did that, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. that's a huge scale, right? That's a big scale. I like to do it on the micro <laughs> scale, <laughs> but that I needed this. Yeah. Yeah. That's powerful for sure. Um, I want to wrap up a little bit and get to the final three. Oh, I know we're there. Sadly, sadly, we're, we're coming to the end of, of this interview. <laughs> Really quickly, though, I just I love what you just said, because I think you do meet certain people that you obviously want to make connections with or you want to have a deeper, longer conversation with. You are certainly one of them for me um, at Women in Wine, the conference. But I think just, 
you know, that like, I'm really glad I met this person or I needed, I needed that. Or, um, thank you for, you know, if, if you share a story with someone that you just thank you for that, I needed to hear that today. Those are, those are super powerful things. And I think that's that human connection. That's why I love it so much. It's a little deeper than surface. It's a little deeper than, Hey, how are you? How's it going? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Same also. Super fun. Super fun. Um, okay. Final three. Best advice you've ever been given. Um, given, I, you know, I saw that question and I thought about it and I was really racking my brain thinking about it. And I think like, I don't have like one piece of advice that someone gave me that I feel like stands out. I feel like there's been ways I've watched people either support me or Mm -hmm. live their lives. But what came to mind, honestly, was a piece of advice that I gave myself, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) Which is, um, si tu veux, tu peux, which means if you want, you can. And I tattooed it on my arm and it's like special to me, but it also, um, it was like the first sentence I understood in French without translating. Like I understood what they were saying. And, and then I just, I thought, yeah, if you want, you can. Mm-hmm. So I just became my mantra. It's a good one. <laughs> that was a good mantra. Uh, what's your happy place? Um, they say when, you know, you're like having like a anxious moment. There's like a try to find a happy moment or place that you went to. And for me, it's uh, this day that I got kind of turned around in Lyon. I first moved there and it was real sunny. And I was in this kind of old part of town with these cobblestone streets and the pinks and oranges. And it was lunchtime and I could hear everybody making lunch, like the sounds of forks and plates and pans and it was a very warm moment but that feeling that feeling is my happy place people you said you love a compliment after a meal that you've cooked I like the lean back and quiet yeah <laughs> that is when you really when you really know <laughs> push the plate just forward just a oh. little bit and the lean back. The leg, leg up. Oh, <laughs> leg up. Oh. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> in all things food and drink, what do you crave? Mm. I think uh, just good, good quality. It doesn't have to be like high end, low end. It's just good quality or whatever it is mm-hmm. in that moment you know I was talking about this the other day about the diner <clears throat> um, again back back to that idea of accessible luxury and just like how you are taken care of <clears throat> my favorite thing is when they bring the caddy after you've you've ordered and it's a fresh caddy with a full bottle of ketchup it's glass it's been wiped down full of jam it's full of butter syrup is brand fresh wiped down Mm -hmm. everything I need is in this caddy and it was cleaned and set up for me for this one time (laughs) but now when she brings my food I'm not gonna have to ask her for anything I have everything I need it's something as simple as that it's just like 
that's all I need. You're doing this job, but you're doing it well. Yeah. That's good stuff, Siobhan. I like it. <laughs> I I really, I want to say I really appreciate how uh, deliberate you are when you answer questions. No one, I don't think anyone could ever accuse you of word vomit. Hmm. <laughs> Thank you. You're like, oh, <laughs> oh, thank you. Word vomit. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I just, I'm just me. <laughs> I don't know. Thank goodness. I really appreciate that people um, find my work and what I'm doing, uh, you know, that they're connected to it in some way, that they're moved by it or touched by it or you know want to be a part of it you know I'm doing these wine and jazz nights I'm doing all these things just to create more and more opportunities for connection because you just never know what it's going to lead to but also it's just so lovely to have a moment it is you know so lovely so I'm grateful that I get to share that with with people and that people like it Mm -hmm. they like it they really, really like it. No, you are. You're, really like you're funny. You're deliberate. You you think about what you're going to say before you say it, which I very much appreciate. Um, so Not all the time, but it's <laughs> recording, so. <laughs> yes, we are recording. Yeah. No, that's very good point. Uh, if people want to uh, find you, get connected with you, uh, dirtyradish.com, right? That's the place to go. That's the place to go. Dirtyradish.com. Instagram is dirty underscore radish. And um, yeah, the newsletter is the best way to mm-hmm. get the first. I don't put them out a lot. So, you know, it's always good information. But yeah, and then just keep watching for events and tastings and trips and all sorts of other fun things that I've got cooking and up my sleeves as usual. Per use. I like it. Thank you so much for your time this morning. Thank you. Thank you, Trish. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Hungry for More, an Epicurean's Dilemma with me, Trish Close. You can watch this podcast and subscribe on my YouTube channel. Just search Hungry for More, an Epicurean's Dilemma. You can also listen and subscribe wherever you like to listen to podcasts.